Welcome to the podcast with no name. In this episode, we will conclude our discussion of the 27 Club. The 27 Club is a list of musicians, artists and actors who all died at the age of 27 and supposedly these creative people have done so in enough numbers that people have begun to believe that some are destined to die at age 27. Tonight, Sid will lead the discussion of the life of Jim Morrison, a 27 Club member and the lead singer of The Doors. I will be focusing on Jim Morrison as part of the 27 Club. And I think from an Australian audience member point of view, uh, this is always a quirky little bit of trivia, is the town or the city in which he was born in. And uh, I don't know, Princess, if you were looking that up right now, but he was born in Melbourne, as in Melbourne, Florida. It's one of those quirky things that people find really strange from an Australian point of view. I did read it. I did not write it down. Yeah, Melbourne, Florida. So that's one of those things that always stood out for me, like where was he born? He was an army brat, so to speak. So we're talking about somebody who lived in one area, moved to another, moved to another, moved to another, and there seemed to be that kind of constant theme. In fact, his father was very high up in the Navy and often talked about being an instrumental part of when the Vietnam War started. I won't talk about his father too much. That becomes into play a little bit later on. After um, finishing school, he went into film school. He got his uh, qualifications there, and that's where he met one of the other band members, being Ray Manzarak. Ray actually changed his name. It used to be pronounced something different, which I can't recall now. And then later on, they got the other two band members, being John Densmore and Robbie Krieger. That became the band The Doors, which, of course, Jim Morrison became well-known for. The Doors' really first gig is about 1965 and they're playing a lot of places around LA. Whiskey Gogo is probably one of the better-known places that they played at. The London Fog is another. What's really interesting about that time is they were developing a bit of a cult following, uh, particularly about the more eerie or hypnotic kind of feel to their music, and I think that's largely because of the band uh, really helped to play that effect. Jim was originally known for being quite a shy singer. He would often uh, not face the audience, have his back to them. It took a little while for him to feel comfortable. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to reconcile when you see the video clips now. I found it interesting that when they finally got their record deal in 1967, they had enough material that they did not need to record any new material until their fourth album. So what they put out in their first album, their second album, their third album... I think all bar about like one or two songs they had originally written or got it like done on the road and fixed up, you know, way back in about 1966. So it was quite an incredible body of music that they did have. I think when you're starting to focus on Jim Morrison, he was the iconic lead singer, sometimes referred to as the Lizard King because of his love of wearing leather. He certainly developed a reputation of pushing things to the limit. And you must also think about the origins of the name of the band. Where did the doors come from? The doors came from a piece of poetry from William Blake. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as it is, infinite. And that's one thing that not many people pick up. It's actually from William Blake's poetry. 
The one thing that he was known for is a rebellious act. He was arrested in New Haven, Connecticut, and that photograph of him with a classic kind of thing, you know, that mug shot with the numbers, you could still get that online. He'd actually have been arrested quite a few times with live shows, a very provocative type act. But a number of people view that his turning point in his career and maybe his life is a concert in Miami in early 1969. It was from that concert that he was charged with a few things, including profanity, and this actually led to a court case later on. Why is that significant? Because if anybody's actually watching him and looking at him physically, you can see a very clear physical decline from 1969 March until you're going to when he eventually did pass away later on. It becomes abundantly clear. 1969, you have the release of the album The Soft Parade, probably the one that I know the least. I think it's probably the most ill-disciplined album they put out. 1970, uh, you have uh, Morrison Hotel. That album is very slick, but it's abundantly clear how much he's aged during that time. The last album that they put out was L.A. Woman in April 1971. And again, the photos of the cover there is quite interesting. It's not only the beard that makes him look old. Yes, he's doing a bit of a trick there where he's trying to make himself look smaller than the band. But there was a lot of clues to the music about like fascination about what is on the other side. But just to focus on, like, his health and some of the reports, I think the one thing that to be said about Jim Morrison is, apart from his love of drugs, it seems to have come forward that he probably loved booze more than anything else. Uh, He often referred to he appreciated booze because it was not an illegal drug. When you're looking at the Isle of Wight Festival in 1970 and you look at that performance where he looks unusually bloated, And Susie Quattro, who was there, actually talks about it, that he was actually really difficult to be with or even talk to because he was just a drunkard. And it is surprising to hear about a lot of the peers talk about what he was like around the time and just hearing like drunkard, drunkard, drunkard used to come up quite a lot. The band itself did find him to be quite erratic where they actually employed their own bodyguard for him. And the bodyguard was to stop him from basically drinking too much, getting in trouble with the police, making sure that he was turning up the shows on time. So even they were starting to see some signs of his erratic behaviour. There is a book there, Nobody Here Gets Out Alive, and that was actually co-written by the Doors manager there at the time. When we talk about Brian Jones, yes, Jim Morrison wrote a poem about Brian Jones, but he became increasingly concerned about his mortality after uh, Jimi Hendrix and then Janis Joplin died within about six weeks of each other and he used to constantly refer to himself as I'm number three and you see that reference written in the book quite a lot, I am number three. So I think he was well aware of the lifestyle he was living and where he was heading to. After LA Woman getting back to April 1971, he went over to Paris and the whole idea about that was to get away from the music scene try to clean up his act, try to lose some weight, try to become a little bit more healthier, that kind of thing. There's mixed reports whether how much he did stick to that, but the one thing that was becoming abundantly clear apart from his weight is that he'd also picked up some very bad asthma and was being treated for that as well. Now, what's the mystery? Well, you can read reports that he died on the 3rd of July 1971. Officially, it says that he died of a heart attack He was found in his bath. The police there, this is in Paris where he was staying, came over, 
They confirmed that he had died of a heart attack. Interestingly, under French law, there's no need to conduct an autopsy. And I think this also helped to feed into a bit of the controversy because at the time that he did die, some of the band's management actually went over there to confirm it because there was always constantly reports of whether he had died or not. But because there's no autopsy, he's now buried in Pierre Lachaise Cemetery. What actually did happen? Well, this is up to rumour. There's things like heart attack could have been real because of his lifestyle. Probably the rumour that does persist is he took a shot of heroin that was too much for his body to cope with and that's why he was found in the bath as a means to kind of like chill out. I think the band themselves, particularly the keyboardist Ray Manzarek, played on that aspect of, okay, let's create a myth. It actually helps repel the band. It keeps us there in the spotlight. It keeps people listening to our music and buying records. Because even the book that I'm referring to from before, No One He Gets Out Alive, they even speculate, what if he's still alive? What if he found a way to get out of there and go somewhere else? Well, I don't believe that. I actually do believe that he did die. The big question is maybe how he did die. My personal view is he probably experimented with heroin, took something that he could not cope with, and that was the end of him. He was a very, very weakened man at the time. So that's my summary of Jim Morrison. I wonder what thoughts do you have there, Princess? Well, Sid, I commend you for that brilliant biography of Jim Morrison. As for the circumstances of his death, the law at the time that they did not have to do an autopsy is just weird, especially for someone so young, especially with someone Mm. with a public profile, especially with someone who is clearly dying before they should regardless of whether they're ill or or an addict or whatever. I find it just bizarre and you've got to wonder why they chose to follow the letter of the law and not do the autopsy. They could have chosen to do an autopsy because surely the authorities would have known that questions would be asked, if not by Jim Morrison's family, by the fans and by the public and by the band members and band management. As for how he died, I think the official version where he was just magically found in the bathtub and it's, oh, gee, he must have just had a heart attack and died, I think that's just too sanitised to be real. Convenient. (laughs) It's convenient. It's sanitised. I do not deny that he possibly had a heart attack. It's what precipitated the heart attack. I am thinking that drugs are involved. I'm thinking it's possibly a speedball or heroin overdose of some kind, but no one will ever know now unless they dig him up and, I suppose, test his hair. I suppose that's what they're going to have to do if they want to really do it. What colour was his hair when he died too? Yeah, that's the question, white? isn't it? Is it bleached <clears throat> white? Is it embalmed? <laughs> this um, episode's been brought to you gr- by Tony and Guys. <laughs> <laughs> He was certainly growing prematurely at that time. You can see some photos leading up to it and it it clearly shows. There's a few interesting things that cross over there. Like, um, Hold on, Sid, hold on. People go grey when they go grey and, you know, I'm a prematurely grey person and I was going grey at that age. It Mm. happens. Plus Jim Morrison was a very dark brunette, so white hairs would show up more in his head. Hmm. So I think the fact he was going grey really isn't neither here nor there. Would you care to weigh in on that, Captain? Yeah, I think everyone has grey hair at some point, you know, being 27, you know, 25, 26. 
it's it's quite common and it's more common than you think. And yeah. be, also because he had a lot of hair, yeah. you would actually see it a lot more had he had a short haircut, you know. I mean, everyone had long hair, you know, during that time. So, yeah. I think I the know. thing that stood out for me at that time, it wasn't the fact that he was going grey, which can happen to people of that age, is that uh, how much were you looking at the publicity photos from about 1970 onwards? He made no attempt to hide it. And I thought that's the part that was quite unusual, where just trying to maintain the image of the band and he just thought, no, I'm just going to let it hang out. And he did it on stage a few times, actually. Well, allegedly, (laughs) that's why he uh, got in trouble. Mm -hmm. They never um, actually concretely proved that. What about his burial? Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't he buried in France in a particular cemetery? It's famous. Pierre Lachaise Cemetery. Mm. We've established that uh, there was no autopsy. I think the first thing is he wasn't well known in France at the time. He was fairly Mm. anonymous. Even, I mean, still 27, you want to check out with an autopsy. But the other I, I heard, actually, I heard that, that there was an autopsy and when they cut him open, you know what they found? Val Kilmer. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to be serious. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. It's popped oh, out. Dear. That's like, a chest like, burst. like a chest burst. Like a chest burster. I'm the Lizard mm. King. And he ran off. Yeah. <laughs> Became Val Kilmer and made the movie. It all there adds were, up. Um, there were two other things that add to the mystery, like when some of the band management flew over there when they came to the flat that they were living in, he was already in a box that was already sealed up and they're thinking, well, how come we can't have a viewing? And they found that a bit suspicious. And then he was put into the ground like uh, less than three days after passing away and they were stuck about why the mystery and why the speed. I think it had a lot to do with I think his then-girlfriend at the time knew a lot more about what was going on and was trying to, you know, conceal her tracks. And we'll never know for sure because she died of heroin overdose about four years after Jim. Coincidentally, Ooh. at the age of 27. Ooh. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, she was 27. Yeah. yeah, I think the whole thing surrounding what happened to Jim Morrison's body and his final arrangement smacks of a cover-up. It's um, sad because no one's ever going to really know what Cover happened. Up in, in what way, though? I mean, it was sort of was well known that he took drugs, was an alcoholic, and he, he just happened murder. to die. Well, could it have been murder? Could it have been, yeah, like you said, it is well known that he was using drugs, but users don't necessarily, they think they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. They don't necessarily think they're going to die. Although, mm. hold on, we're talking about Jim Morrison. Who am I talking about? Mm. But maybe but the that, drugs are different in Paris, you know, maybe, maybe. You, know, you don't know what was on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he could have died legitimately and maybe, you know, who knows, the French didn't like rock stars, you know. <laughs> Didn't like rock stars, didn't like what was going on and they saw perhaps drug paraphernalia and they just said, oh, he died of this case closed sort of thing without actually bothering doing an autopsy and wasting time on someone that wasn't French, you know, that wasn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, the cover-up may only extend that far, Captain, you are exactly Mm. right, Mm. but no one could be bothered to get to the bottom of why this man died and I think that's... Mm. uh, Mm. 
I, mm. I think that I go back to my theory. I think the cover-up was the girlfriend. Mm. That's where it originated from. I think she knew or may have been responsible. And I think for her to kind of panic, it's like, let's get him into a sealed coffin. Let's get him into the ground as soon as possible. Let's move mm. on. Let's create this myth. It To me, I said, I think it was just distracting away from any questioning leading towards her. I think that was her thinking. Mm. Again, and she died theory, as well. Helped. Well, she died four years later on, so she can't sue me for that comment. <laughs> you know, so Whitney Houston died in a bath of some sort of drug yeah, overdose. That's true. So did they do an autopsy on her or did they just go get her in a box and ship her on? I don't I'd know. Be yeah, be she sure. would have been yeah. yeah. She was famous yeah. and in America. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Hold on, let mm. me see. You keep talking amongst yourselves. I shall find out about Whitney. But I, I love Jim Morrison. I love The Doors. And obviously dying before I was born and being part of the 27 Club, it's like I'm glad that he's in that club and, and mm-hmm. part of that and almost died that he didn't just end up some fat old country singer in the late 70s and being really sad. It's almost like he he will mm-hmm. be immortal forever, looking amazing. And, yeah, I th- don't have a problem with him and what happened to him, which is mm-hmm. incredibly sad. Mm. But, but like in his prime or just just past it, so yeah, remember that yeah. way rather than as you say, he didn't get old and yeah, so, mm, yeah, like Elvis. Yeah. Whitney did have an autopsy performed upon her, and there was a coroner's report where the star was found face down in a water-filled bathtub with drug paraphernalia nearby, mm. and mm. confirms the coroner's initial report that she died of accidental drowning. There we go. Yeah, yeah, passed yeah. out, caused by. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't read further. Speedball, heroin, yeah. Didn't read further. Yeah. See, and they had the same thing. Like, wasn't Bobby Brown, you know, her husband, ex-husband at the time, wasn't he vilified for introducing her to drugs? And And just being an all-round asshole. Well, you know. He deserved it. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, what kind of life choices do you make? She somehow felt gravitated towards him. He he had a reputation for that lifestyle. She kind of slipped slipped into that lifestyle. I mean, why are some girls attracted to assholes? Do they actually believe they can convert them? It really works. But I think also Whitney's reputation was being, you know, a good girl and, you know, who knows what she was like in private life. She could have been awful. Well, the main thing that I kept on hearing is that part of this marriage was a front because she um, batted for the other team. Oh, please, that's ridiculous. I, I've heard that many times. No, I, the, I have the heard the Whitney shows that. I have hmm. heard the Whitney's gay theory before. Hmm. Um, however, that's not the even 27 Club. Even a personal assistant, even yeah. a personal <laughs> assistant <laughs> says that. We I digress. Dr- we have drifted somewhat. Back to Jim, Sid. What? I said back to Jim. Oh, Jim Sid, Morrison. Not Jay Moss. Yeah, Jim Morrison. <laughs> I think it's an amazing legacy of music that they've got over the realistically an extremely short period of time. Yes, mm, and agree. that's what people oh. forget about. And I'll just have a look how he looks on that first album compared to the last album. It's hard to believe that's what five years tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at Obama. I, I find nobody sounds like the Doors. That they don't fit into any sort of category. No one sounds like them. And they've never had a bass player. And it's kind of weird too. Yeah. But the uh, the guy on the keyboards was playing bass. It's not the same. Uh, no, it, but it did add, add the, to the right effect. I mean, I think what the Doors did was kind of put an aspect of theatre into the music. 
it sometimes had a blues base to it, but it was an aspect of theatre. Um, live version of When the Music's Over is probably a very good example. It sounds very theatrical. Even just listening to full versions of The End and When the Music's Over, they're like whole little mini operas at times. It's, um, mm. you know, The End in particular goes in, there's soliloquies, the whole works. It's a brilliant piece of music. And you're right, nobody sounds like The Doors and... I'm thankful I mean, for that because it means they are unique and people are still listening mm. to them 50-something years later. But it would have been interesting to see what they ended up doing if they continued as a band, but, you know, because at that time, like, Led Zeppelin were coming through and all these, you know, Queen and all these other bands that were really had such strong vocals. So it would have been interesting to hear the influence that Jim would have taken on or even just any of the band members hearing that music. So what happened and to the rest of the band? What, what became of Ray Manzarek and the others, Robbie Kruger? For about two more years, they tried to stick it out as the Doors as a three-piece. I remember their first album was ironically called Other Voices. It's really disappointing to listen to. You can actually hear, I suppose, that Morrison feel ingredient is just gone and it just doesn't work. It worked with the four of them together. And, you know, I've tried listening to it a few times. You just can't connect to it. Uh, they get got another the vocalist or something? Much, much later on, but I'm talking about that immediate two years afterwards. The the lyrics didn't have the same kind of impact. They didn't make you question or say that's unusual. They just seemed to really have lost their focus. They were great musos, the three of them, and Jim just gave them some focus. For about two more years, then they caught it quits, and about 1978, someone may correct me, they've put music to some of Jim's spoken poetry, and that became an American mm. prayer. And some of that works extremely well. But it was never, Jim didn't do it for being put to music. The band put music to it afterwards. Yeah, I was surprised at how well it sounded. Whether they would have gone a more bluesier kind of way, that's what LA Woman suggested, or a more artistic way. Look, who now knows? They're just flipping burgers <laughs> in and out. My gut feeling was they probably would have hung around for another couple more years and they probably would be doing reunion tours if they were still together now. Yeah, my feeling is that they would have, yeah, stuck it out for a while longer had Jim survived and it would be a sad, sad thing to watch them do reunion tours. Mm. But you like wonder also stones. whether, you know, I, you wonder I whether also, oh, sorry, you go. Princess. No, I was just going to say the doors are sort of like lightning in a bottle. They're a moment mm -hmm. in time. Mm. You wonder whether Jim would have become whether he would have wanted that or whether the media, as they moved through the 70s, you know, how everyone was sort of all over John Lennon for, you know, an opinion on this and getting in on chat shows and being, you know, anti-war or, or whatever it is, whether Jim would have, you know, really taken his poetry, if you will, and been the voice of a generation with being Jim Morrison and what he had to say or whether you know, he just would have shied away from it all and was just purely about the band because he he had this other side and this depth with his poetry and he was so complex. He wasn't just the singer in a rock and roll band. There's one song that comes to mind when you're saying that, Captain, is uh, Five to One. And a, yes. lot of, a lot of people miss the verse where he's actually criticising the protest movement. Yeah. And a lot of people just remember, you know, the first couple of ones that sound anti-war and then he flips it over and he's talking about what the anti-war movement are doing. So he's having a dig at them too. Mm. Uh, and that's what I mean about the complexity. It's just not straight up and down. 
Okay, well, that's a good example. Michael Hutchinson yeah, is a very Jim Morrison thing, isn't he? Yeah, he, he was. Can we not discuss him? <laughs> not a fan? No, just yeah, no. He he did. I love I love him, but yeah, yeah. That's right. You can discuss it. I'm only joking. No, 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 no. it's yeah. He was. He looks, I think he was one of the closer subsequent performers to the Jim Morrison aura. Lazy, um, yeah, he had the swagger mm. like Jim Morrison had. Oh, absolutely. And, and the hair and the leather pants. Yeah, mm. I mean, he was incredible. Really, just back on what. Sid was saying about the, the song Five to One and about the, the different views of the war. You know, Jim also grew up in a military family, so maybe he had influence of, you know, why war was good and then seeing it all around him that why war is bad. And so he had this, like, conflicting sort of views on just the whole movement and what was happening. And obviously Vietnam was going on at the time. I think it must have been incredibly hard to be a sensitive, artistic, poetic child in the house where your father is a rising star of the Navy and Mm. instead of getting a smack on the bum when you were naughty or whatever, you got chewed out military style, which they parody in just about Mm. every movie that involves people joining the Army or Navy and they get the verbal Mm. chewing out until they're completely broken down. That's what Jim Morrison and his sisters had to endure when they were naughty as kids kids i mean that's Mm. got to affect you when you're growing up Mm. you get chewed out you get yelled at screamed berated at until you break down and confess all your sins and apologize profusely and that's the parents way of saying i love you it's like oh geez Mm. yeah it's got to mess you up yeah yeah, no wonder that you leave and rebel against that yeah they're surprised Mm. he rebelled it's like yeah really Mm. no sum up jim sid i think did you find a line of think, his poetry that was good? I've actually got some some of his poetry and I think a lot of it was hard to really tell which were finished pieces and which ones were work in progress. So I know with some of the things you look at it go, oh, yeah, that's not too bad. Another time you go, mm, you know, that kind of thing. But, no, I haven't got one ready to quote, put it that way. I've got, I've got one. Girl, right. we couldn't get much higher. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You want to change that to girl? We couldn't get this much better. better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think there was just an amazing myth that was actually created by, you know, not exactly knowing how he passed away. A lot of people taking incredible emphasis onto some of the more darker topics that he talked about. I've even heard the theory, it's not a well-known song, but on LA Woman there's the song Hyacinth's House, which has actually got so many references to how drug users chill out in the bath and people have made links to that song to how he was found. I think the band members, particularly Ray Manzarek, did enough as they could to just keep the, the myth alive, like, what is he alive? You know, what was he really like? I think they probably did more to keep him going for a number of years than what he actually did. Well, let's face it. It was probably very hard to live with at times and deal with. Let's face it. The other three, as talented as they were, needed Jim. They needed the band to keep going. They needed to keep the money coming in. They needed the royalties to keep coming in. Mm. How do you keep royalties coming Mm. in? Let's perpetuate a myth. Weekend at Bernie's. Just prop him up there. (laughs) Doors away. Do you think the 27 Club would really exist if, you know, Jimmy, Janice and Jim all didn't die really closely together That at the age of 27? Like, would everyone else just be sort of a, mm. previous to that, a coincidence? 
you know, yeah, those, three, when those, it all started. Those, yeah, like major icons, you know, of the whole music industry at the time. So would the 27 Club actually exist and just Probably be not. a coincidence? I think you've hit one of the big factors of the 27 Club. I think it's mm. because we've got such notable people passing away in a short period of time at 27 that people started to think, hey, look at that, it's a thing. Mm. I mean, Live fast, is, die young. Yeah. It's disappointing because the, the 27 Club excludes us talking about Keith Moon. How old was Keith when he well, died? I think he was 32, but, I mean, excludes mm. us from talking about him. I mean, mm. he could have lived a lifestyle dying at 27. He just happened to live five years later yeah. on. I think it's discrimination yeah. not to talk about him. Yeah. Look, John Bonham, how old was he? Wasn't he only 30? Mark 30 Boland was two weeks away from his 30th birthday. You know, so there's plenty of people Jeff that were Buckley. still young. Well, Tim Buckley's in the don't. 28 Club. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. so... So it's, he should have gone a, very rock and a roll. few months earlier. Yeah, yeah that's right. It, I mean, it's such it's, an arbitrary thing. You mm. know, and even even just I know nothing about any of this, but like that young DJ guy, Avicii, Avicii, yeah. Yeah. died. Like he, he was so young and just was living this lifestyle. I, like I said, I know nothing about him, but he died too soon, didn't he? You know, he was on top of the world and just died. Mm. So, you know, it it does happen, but is it just because they're... 27 that's been perpetuated because of these people and it's a long time ago now you know it's like 50 years they've actually been dead for and we're still talking about them because they're amazing they are i was listening to to Jimi hendrix this afternoon like Mm. oh my god it's extraordinary I think it also excludes, can I say, it excludes another departed, left us too early kind of muso. I'm a big fan of Steve Ray Vaughan. I know he died in a helicopter crash. But I thought you were going to say Bert Newton there. No, no, no. No, but when you mentioned Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan covers Jimi Hendrix probably the best I've ever heard anyone covering. Yeah, and they're, they're uh, both left-handers. Mm, just listen to is, how I'll, he does I'll songs like, for... you know, Voodoo Child or, or Little Wing. It's just amazing. Mm, mm. And for him, Helicopter Crash, 35, I think. Yeah. Well, one of my favourite guitarists is a guy called Randy Rhodes, and he was yes. only 23, and he died in a plane crash. Oh, while he was on tour with Ozzy Osbourne. And I don't think I'll ever get over that. The funny know? thing is he was, he was also in a bathtub in the plane when it crashed. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. No, there was no autopsy because he was Can dead in France, right? fucking stop it, man. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty white. It's around. amazing. For me, dear listener, the 27 Club is a starting point, if you will, into an exploration of an immense pool of talent that was gone too soon. Some members of this club, if it be a club, didn't live long enough to realise their full potential. And the same might be said of many others who died young. If you would like to continue the discussion, the exploration of the 27 Club, may I suggest that you listen to the 27 Club podcast on iRadio, Spotify, Podbean and many other podcast platforms as they will provide a more in-depth examination of 27 Club members. And please tune in to future episodes of the podcast with no name as we will be revisiting this topic. If you would like to continue the discussion of the 27 Club with any or all members of the podcast with no name, you can contact us at podnoname at gmail.com or at at podnoname on Facebook. 
Thank you, Sid, Captain, and Jay Moss for participating in this episode. And thank you for joining us, dear listener. We hope you enjoyed listening and we hope you join us again for another episode of the podcast with no name. <laughs>